Welcome to the Govern This Podcast. This is a political podcast for non-political people, where we ask the simple and ignorant questions about our country and government and get them answered. anything yet. Welcome to episode 23, uh, Economics, the Most Complex Man-Made System, part one. Uh, Luke and I got together a while back to record this in-depth conversation about economics. We talk about how money works, how the economy works, how inflation works, and how our countries work financially, and a bunch of side avenues that I come to understand relate to each other. Everything's related to each other. It's kind of crazy. At first, I wanted to talk to Luke uh, about this topic in a couple short chats. I just wanted a simple understanding of how everything works. Just just give me the rundown, you know? Um, But after a few minutes into this conversation, I realized that this is not a simple and basic topic that you can just lay out in two 15-minute conversations. So we talked for over two hours. (laughs) Um, I've split it up into a couple episodes. So this is part one, uh, where we cover so many important and complicated aspects of the economy. What I learned is that everything is connected, everything is important, and everything is whack, and that very few people actually know what's going on. And I don't just mean you and me. But I mean the people running things, which I kind of find terrifying. Anyway, uh, here we go. There's a lot of things going on here, a lot to absorb. So I hope that you'll take the time to listen to this episode, take a break, digest it, share it with people, and then jump into the second episode. And just before we get to the podcast, I just want to remind people, please subscribe and uh, to the podcast and support us in any way that you can. Just sharing it with people telling people about it, telling people what you learned, even, you know, that's, that's good enough. We just want to get information out there and get people more knowledgeable. Um, you can go to our website at governthis.ca and in the links there, you can buy us a coffee, buy us a beer, drop us some of your overflowing pocket change to support our time, energy, and operating costs. We'd appreciate anything and everything. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash govern this and on Twitter at we govern this. So without further ado, on to the podcast, Economics, the most complex man-made system, part one. Welcome back, Luke. Thanks. Good to be back. Um, We're going to talk about money this time. Why don't you start off with that quote you're talking about? Uh, The quote from Henry Ford? Yeah. Okay. Henry Ford. It is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system. For if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before morning. Whoa. But that was a long time ago. It's not the same, right? doesn't... Eh? There has been significant changes in banking and monetary systems since then, but I think... The mechanism that he was talking about has not changed. What do you mean by mechanism? The fact that we exist, uh, our economy is a credit-based system where money is essentially created when a person takes out debt or a loan. Uh, It, in, in, in small part, the government controls the money supply in a very, very small part. But in the large part, it's the commercial banking system who creates and controls the money supply. Wow. Okay. So we're going to talk about money and economics and stuff. And that was, that's your bombshell, right? The, the money credit thing. Yeah. That's um, the, that's once you understand that underpinning, then it, it, changes your perspective on how things work and the things that are being said in the mainstream media about the current economic situation, such as inflation. Okay. It it makes you look at it from a different point of view. Okay. So, if I look up 
the definition of like economics right now, which I did. And I was like, what? <laughs> that, what you're talking about kind of, because, okay. So the definition, it said it's a social science that seeks to analyze and describe the production, distribution, and consumption of wealth. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> so you're saying that the economy is run by, okay, just, okay, explain it to me, that part. Let's uh, go into from, it deep. From that meaning? What they're trying to say? Okay, let's go with that, yeah. Uh, there's even an argument. It, it, so social science is key in that it's not a hard science. Some people debate that it is, it is any form of science. Uh, a lot of it is based on theory and observation and they run models but right a lot of the contemporary arguments i've been hearing from a lot of independent writers is that mainstream economics does not describe what we actually have in society and therefore their models don't really match what's going on so it's that's why we're not getting the results that they promise huh okay so that's something I think I heard once and it was talking about um, when they're looking at economics and they're using like loaf of bread or they're using things to market, but they're using the things that people aren't buying or I, I can't remember how it was. Like they were, it was like they were cheating the system to make it look, the numbers look better or. Oh, uh, so you're talking about the, the measure of CPI, the CPI. Uh, so the CPI is, is calculated by having a set basket of goods that we generally yeah. consume and they look at the, the price increases over periods of time of that same set of basket. Now, the thing is they change that basket of goods. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Some of it is legitimate because of... Uh, how we have advanced as society, for example, uh, cell phones. Mm-hmm. It's something that we need or pretty much need these days. Yeah. But like 20 years ago, it was not something that we needed. So that is a new item that has to be added in and calculated. So they have to change the CPI basket. Okay. But then there's some other tricks that they've played. Uh, for example, one that I've heard of is... Basically, they replace items for other items of lesser quality without taking that into account. For example, they'll say it used to be a steak was in there, but instead of comparing a steak to a steak, they go, oh, there's a likely substitute where you can get ground beef. Right, right, yeah. So, But there's a difference between steak and ground (laughs) beef. So, instead of measuring the price increases of a steak... They've assumed that people will switch to ground beef. So, suddenly we've got all these people who are now eating ground beef that because they can't afford the steak, but that isn't reflected in the CPI. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we just jumped through a bunch of things there, didn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That was my like, wait, what was that? What was that? (laughs) So, let's go back to money's value is based on credit. Or whatever you said there. Yeah, and and tying this into the CPI is CPI is a measure of price increases, which is a proxy for inflation. What does CPI stand for? Uh, It's Consumer Price Index. Okay, okay. So, as I said, it's like a basket of consumer prices. Like the standard things that people would supposed to buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it includes, uh, there's all sorts of components to it. Uh, there are, there's like a core CPI and a broad CPI. Core CPI eliminates prices that have high variability, such as oil, gasoline, and also food prices. I know this is, I'm talking about the, the US measurements. I haven't looked too much into the Canadian measurements, but I assume they're roughly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, they've got different versions of it. They look at depending on the the volatility of prices, um, how this ties in and where people get that mixed up. And I've learned this from um, mostly from a particular 
a com- commentator, financial commentator, Jeff Snyder. He's uh, he's done a lot of research and put a lot of things together. And he, to me, he seems to make the most sense out of anyone. But he makes a, yeah. a distinction between price increases and inflation. Uh, he rests upon Milton Friedman's definition of inflation, which is an increase in the money supply. Uh, how that drives inflation is if there's more money chasing the same amount of goods, then those same amount of goods will require more money to pay for them. See, that's okay. That's the thing with inflation. It's like, it's very simple. It's just this equation, but it's one of those trick questions in your math book in high school. It's like, yeah. it's simple, but it's not fucking simple. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and as I said, the CPI is a, a proxy for inflation, but it, where people people get the two confused because inflation as defined by Milton Friedman is only when the money supply increases. CPI measures when goods increase in price, but that may be due to other factors such as the shortage of goods. Oh, so so the CPI they're using that often to say to talk about inflation, but it's it shouldn't be the thing to talk about inflation because it's not. There, there's no, there's a number of factors that change uh, prices, but as far as the defined inflation, it's only from the one factor that causes an increase in money supply. Oh, so why do we talk about CPIs all the time when in, in some inflation? Because it's uh, because CPI is measurable. Um, and so it's what people at home understand. They like, I need to see it. I need to understand it. Yeah. Well, if, if you're trying to get a gauge of what's actually happening in the real economy, then you take measurements Mm -hmm. and those are the things that you can measure. You can measure the same object and see the price difference between at X certain point in time and Y point in time. Well, it seems like we can measure how much money they're printing. Ah, and this is the trick. <laughs> this is the trick. And again, this uh, Jeff Snyder talks about this extensively, is that the monetary system and what is actually defined as money is so complex that the government and the central banks lost track of it a long time ago. So, they can't adequately measure money. So, the only way around it is to measure the price of goods and services. Oh. So you're saying they can't measure inflation by the money because they have no idea. Pretty much. So they're they've lost track. So they're saying this is how you measure with a CPI index because that's it's not because that's the way but because that they fucked up the other stuff. Yeah, and and I want to blame the government. On and this. <laughs> this goes back to what I said about we live in a credit-based system, and the credit-based system it's it's loans and uh, you know essentially it's loans and credit that brings money into existence, and that is predominantly that is done by commercial banks and not the government. Okay, explain explain that. Explain what you mean by that. This is where you started there and then I derailed this, but let's go back to that. Like break that down. Which part of it would you like to break it down? (laughs) The how loans make money, make, create the money. Okay. Because I'm like, is that in a barter system, you don't need it because you're just trading goods and services. Yeah. But a barter system is extremely inefficient. So if you've got lots of, one item, you know, you've got, say, lots of wool, mm-hmm. but you need wood. But the guy who's got the wood doesn't need much wool. How are you going to get the wood that you need? Oh, and that's where credit comes in. That's where money, money money comes in. It means that it's an intermediary that facilitates trade. Hmm. So, it's like in the meantime... Yeah, you've got a a central, uh, and and this is what define this is part of what defines money now because part of it is defining what money is. You ask people what is money, and people automatically think of the notes and coins in their wallet, but that's only one form of money. That's isn't currency. 
Yeah, and what what's fiat again? Like that's fiat is uh, when money has lost its uh, backing from basically a physical commodity. There's nothing backing it. It it's it's money that's created out of of uh, fiat. It, it's by by say so only. Okay, so. Okay. Okay. So, so back in the day, for, is, yeah. For, let, let's go back in time. You're, okay. t- you're talking about barter. Mm-hmm. In back in the day, uh, you know, things such as uh, silver and gold were used as money. Mm-hmm. It's something that all people agreed upon using to facilitate trade. It was a central uh, way of measuring value. Um. So, when a common definition, a, a common, common way of describing or defining money is there's three factors. It is uh, store of value. Okay. It's a unit of account. And oh, what was the other one? A means of exchange. So, store, unit, and a means. So, going back to the barter times... It was a means of exchange, and okay. uh, things were priced against the gold or silver. So, one bushel of wool would be one gold coin, and but two lengths of wood be would be one gold coin. So, these two mm-hmm. items were measured against a central valuing exchange medium which was the money okay and so as a store of value if you want to save money for the future then you've got to have something that will retain its value over time so you couldn't use apples as money because they would rot and you would Mm, lose the apple so you have to have something that maintains its value over time something that maintains its value over time generally has a limited supply. So, that's why gold and silver was good because while there you could mine gold and silver, you could only mine it at small increments. So, it it generally held its value over time. Mm. This is complicated. Yes. <laughs> Economics and finance is, in my opinion, the most complex human-created system we know really yes in my opinion what about rocket ships no <laughs> no <laughs> this is, we're talking about complex systems <laughs> complex systems that have all sorts of variables that are extremely hard to map and model just because you have yeah. the interaction of all these variables whereas a rocket ship is calculated and constructed and Whereas if you do an it right, it should work. <laughs> is global. It has so many inputs and outputs, we can't even count them. And nowadays, we can't even, like, you can't talk about, like, a small, like, our, like, economy in BC without talking about global economy. Exactly. Like it's, and it's and all... that's it. And so, it, it works on a nested level. It works at a, a micro and macro scale and everything in between. And it also interacts with other complex systems such as politics, the environment, uh, supply chains, all of these things. So, it's a complex system, human-made, that interacts with other complex systems that has innumerable number of variables. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, store store value. <laughs> <laughs> store of value. And the next one was... Unit of account and means of exchange. Okay. And unit of account is basically what it's backed on. Or uh, unit of account it, it it talks about say if you have, you know, your bank account, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's single it, you have one dollar, so it's basically countable. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, it's a, it's a defined unit that can be counted. Right. And, yeah. Okay. Unit of count. Okay. I got that. So, what is this thing about how 
I'm st- going back to that thing again. Credit creates money. Yeah. Uh, so. So that's the bartering thing is like, I don't need, I don't need eggs right now. So. That's, you... that's a primitive system. Okay. And to understand money in its common form, you have to understand a bit about double entry bookkeeping. So back in the day okay. that what we were just talking about, the egg, I pay you money, you say you can write it down, you know, okay. Cam paid me a certain number of dollars for this. Okay. That's a single entry bookkeeping. Okay. Double entry bookkeeping is when you balance both your outgoing and ingoing and other people's outgoing and ingoing. So okay. instead of just saying, I paid you this, then I would have my account and it would go minus from my account and then add to your account. Okay. So that it's always balanced. Okay. And easy way for us to understand that now is debit cards. Uh, yeah, we can get into that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Debit cards going from one account to another. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it'll show as a debit on one side and a credit on the other. You can yeah. probably, yeah, you can, yeah, when you look at your statement, you'll see a, a line for debits and a line for credits. Yeah. That's a form of double entry bookkeeping. Okay. Okay. And then if you, if we were just exchanging between us, then we could look at both of our, our accounts at the yeah. same time and they would balance so if it was only you and me trading with each other then mm-hmm. then every debit would be a credit for me and every credit for me would be a debit for you and vice versa right so they would balance out between the two sets of accounts right now how this leads to the creation of credit is basically the invention of loans where uh, this, we can go back into the history a bit. Um, I believe, from my understanding, it's where it started. So, it, it started in Italy in around the 14th century. Hmm. From my understanding is, say, they had merchants that had a boat out at sea and it had lots of gold on it. And they were going to use that gold as money when it came in. Now... Until that gold arrived, they basically were, were saying, we've got gold coming, but they couldn't perform any activity until the boat actually arrived. Right. Okay. So, what they did was they started making IOU notes saying, I have this money coming, but if we can exchange now based on the money that I'm going to give you when the boat arrives, then Mm. we can start to perform our economic transactions now. So, they created an IOU, which is- Can speed things up. Yeah, it it enables economic activity uh, without being limited by physical supply. Right. Okay. So, it's basically an IOU. So, if I say to you, um, you know, I want- your wood, um, I've got money coming. Mm-hmm. Let me write you an IOU. And so it would be a liability for me because I owe you this money. And it would be this IOU would be an asset for you because that, that IOU is now worth something. So you will keep that as an asset. So you will exchange your wood to me. I'll give you this asset, this IOU, and I will have the wood and a liability. Everything's balanced. So okay. what's happened? is even though the money is physically still on the boat, I've essentially created a unit of account, a means of exchange, and a store of value through creating an IOU note. Okay. And so, now you have this IOU debited in your account, which then you can go to someone else and go, hey, I have this IOU note and I'll swap this IOU note for the eggs that I want from you. Oh. And then, so, this this unit of money has been created on shore out of nothing but an entry into a, a log book. Yeah. Meanwhile, the actual money is on the boat. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, this is essentially how the, the double entry bookkeeping created money because it all became what, what has been described as ledger money. It's money- written down 
in balanced accounting books. Yeah, it, it just bounces back and forth and back and forth. And like, we're so used to it in a sense now that it's, but when you talk about it then, it's, you see it like from one to the other, and then, then they take that IOU to someone else. And you can see how it turned into <laughs> what we have now. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that wasn't, that wasn't, Technically, that wasn't fiat. Even though it was money that was just created, it had something backing it. Mm-hmm. It had a physical commodity. Right. But it, now, it, it allowed the expansion of the monetary supply to facilitate exchange and economic activity. So, this is why it's important to be able to create credit because it facilitates economic activity because otherwise everyone would be sitting around waiting for the boat to arrive before they can exchange anything yeah it's like i want to buy your eggs but i can't right now and then by the time i can they're bad and (laughs) yeah exactly And the person's like ah yeah so then it doesn't help anyone so you're probably well no you're the first person i've heard that said credit's good (laughs) it's it has an important role in society that's a lot different than good. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, everything has its ups and downs. And, you know, the kind of what I believe where the state we're in now is <coughs> we're starting to see the negative impacts of credit accumulate. Right, right. Okay, so that's how credit, are you saying, created money? Yeah. Okay, so we understand that now, I think. I understand it. And then nothing, all I find that all of this economic stuff, it's like the inflation thing. When someone's saying it, it sounds so simple. And then halfway through, I get lost, yeah. even though it's <laughs> simple. Okay. So, oh, going, going back to the story about <clears throat> the boat and the oh, gold, yeah. there's actually, from my understanding, again, I've heard this from other commentators I've been listening to, there's recorded accounts of the ship that had the gold on it sunk. Oh, well, that's why people go So, then for what happened is all this money that had been created backed upon this gold, suddenly there was nothing backing it and all those IOUs became worthless, worthless. and it crashed the economy and caused a recession. Well, is that what's happening right now? Because all the money they're creating is worthless. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. It's like uh, the, the boat is sinking. For, the- for a while, for a number of years, we actually... We, we haven't had anything backing the money, and this is where the mm-hmm. fiat comes into. So, right. yeah, we're kind of, there's not a whole lot forming a physical foundation underneath the money. I think that changed in my lifetime, too. Like, it wasn't that long ago where they just jumped, jumped ship from yeah. back in the... So, they, the U.S. officially abandoned the gold standard... Um, so, the gold standard was they held gold in reserves and the paper money they had, again, it was created as a really efficient way to conduct business because, you know, it was it's really hard to carry, carry around a big bag of gold yeah. and exchange everything. So, they would put the gold in the bank and the, the bank would issue paper notes. So, you'd exchange the paper notes and then whoever had the paper note could go back to the bank and pull out the gold. Right. When okay. they needed it. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's another invention that facilitated economic transactions, which was really good for what it needed to achieve. But what essentially happened is because of this credit creation process, mm-hmm. more of the notes were being created because of all these IOU notes. And so, people kept cashing them in for gold that they were looking like they were going to run out of gold because Mm. they'd created more of this paper notes that were tied to the gold than there was gold existing. Oh, and that would be bad. Yeah, and um, it was looking like it was going to basically bankrupt the, the country. So, they- abandoned the gold standard where they said you can no longer redeem these notes for gold like these are just notes and so at that point that's when it became unbacked fiat money is that when they started losing track of how much money there is they'd already lost track as i said because because otherwise they would have known that yeah yeah they'll just they'll kind of like 
why is our gold stores disappearing? And they, they lost track of the fact that this money had been created by international banks. Oh. And the money was coming back and being redeemed. And so, they're losing- that, like, they're- so, they had no choice. They were just kind of like, we can't keep doing this. That, like, it really- they didn't have a full so grasp just- of what was-, what was going on. They didn't just do it because they wanted to print more money. They were just like- it, it was, it was out of, yeah, they had to. Huh. Okay. Hmm. One for the government. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're backed in the corner, which seems to be all, everything, you know, that's going on today. It's just they're acting because they're backed into a corner because of this unruly system that they don't understand. That they is they actually, don't understand. That is actually centered around commercial banks and not governments. Okay, so this goes back to something you said before we started, where you said people think it's the government's fault, but it's not. I'm not saying it's not their fault, but... (laughs) Let's clarify that, yeah, clarify that comment and get into that a bit. And we're talking about, like, just, oh my gosh, we're only talking about the economy, but we're talking about the economy and, like, inflation and... I don't know. Can you just wrap it up in a, with a nice little <laughs> bow? It was a small jewelry box version. Um, <laughs> the most complex system. And yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's go. I, I don't know. Everything's getting expensive, like stupid, like going up $5 here and there for yeah. things. Like I bought like five potatoes the other day and it was $7. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, excuse me. So there's a lot there's a lot going into the price increases right now. Okay. Some of it is a monetary, but the common commentary right now is that it's all monetary because the government has printed too much money, which right. is not is most is not correct to the extent that they're claiming it to be. People believe. Do you think people are jumping on that because they're just mad at the government right now so they're just like I, like that's I guess I would jump on that being like, it must be them. Yeah, well, they they took credit for the rebound. Mm. And so, the government said, we were responsible for things bouncing back. And then things turn down and get really bad. And now they're trying to say, it's not us. But you can't take credit for one and not take credit for the other. Yeah. So, you know, good, good riddance to them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I totally understand it. Because <laughs> well, if they they're don't, kind of, they're taking credit for something that was not so much in their control. So they lied before, in a yeah. sense. Yeah. So then they have now to lie now. Their lie. Yeah. They're or trying the- to lie again, but the opposite way. Yeah. Now people don't believe them because they were lying about one thing and trying not to yeah. lie now. And <laughs> they either got to convince us of the lie yeah. or be like, you know, what we lied. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not going to do that. No, <laughs> but I don't like the thing is I don't even know if they know they're lying. Oh because, my god, that's so goddamn terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Because again, as I said, like the the most people don't understand the implications of a a commercial banking centered monetary system. The government arrogantly probably thinks that it controls the money supply. So it probably thinks it is responsible, but it it doesn't know that it's not really there's there's a few different things coming in so whoa so you have someone in charge who thinks they can fix it and thinks they're doing things or not doing things or whatever but they're not actually or they might have like a 10% involvement or yeah, something yeah this goes back to what you're saying at the beginning about how ec- economics is a social science but it's seems to be they're using models that don't really match reality. So, they're looking at their models instead of looking at reality and trying to fly with their models when their models aren't accurately depicting what's going on. Well, and but do you think if we get into the political side of it that they're trying to make those models work for them? Yeah, and that's – yeah. Exactly. So that's that's all part of it, and a lot of the criticism of the central banks is that they adjust their data and their models to fit what they want to be the outcome, rather than the other way around. Rather than mm-hmm. looking at the outcomes and going, maybe our models aren't right. And that's not that's not not how you do any sciences. No, that that's why people <laughs> criticize it as 
that they say we don't even think it's a science. Ah. Uh, huh. Okay. Going back to one thing. Just this is going to be all over the place because uh, no. So you said the central banks. Yes. Okay. Do you ever watch Game of Thrones? I've watched some of it. Okay. You know how there's that bank? No, there's, I don't. I never. There's there's a bank and it's like scary as hell. Okay. Like it's the main bank or like Da Vinci's Code and there's like Florence and stuff. There's and then okay. So there's a bank. So I always hear. Like, A, I don't know who the central banks are. And B, you hear, like, the U.S. is into this much debt. Canada's into our debt is this. And I'm like, well, these are the big countries. Well, every country is in debt to somebody. Yeah. Well, maybe not every country, but most. But I'm like, if not to, like, to who? (laughs) Is there some, like, overlord in Iceland that's just in the superman <laughs> ice cave that like i like who who to who i don't get it i don't understand they're in debt to the people that purchase their bonds the government bonds who's that like uh, so I, yeah so so like so if, the, if, the, if the government's in debt then like the people maybe that's wf I don't know. <laughs> well, no, they actually have data about who owns them. Um, so the big players are. They have doubt. They have data on who. Oh, data. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So uh, the biggest players are the central banks of other countries. Uh, I believe it's Japan and China hold the most US government debt. Okay. So central banks are each country has a central bank. In almost every country, yes. Okay. And isn't China in debt and Japan in debt? Yeah, everyone's in debt because we, we live in a credit-based system. So, it, like, the whole reason you have expansion of the monetary system is because of debt and credit. Okay, so they're not like Game of Thrones or Florence where it's like there's one bank that controls it all. It's they're in debt to all, each other. Yeah. All over uh, the place. Essentially, yeah. So... It'd be really dumb to start wars with but some each pe- other. Yeah, then. some people have hold more <laughs> debt, and this depends on trade as well. So the reason why China and Japan ho- hold so much of the U.S. debt is because they are net exporters, and so net exporters meaning like main com- commercial the, goods. Yeah, the main exporters. Yeah, so okay. they produce a lot of stuff, and they have more foreign money coming into their country than they have local money going out of the country. Okay. So, what happens is you have more of another country's money coming in than you have yours. So, what happens is they accumulate money. And because the US runs a trade deficit, they send all this money out of their country to Japan and China. And uh, the US holds a... Again, both sides, there's, there's benefits and cons to 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 this as well but the the basic the default currency for international trade is us dollars mm-hmm. so because japan and china are net exporters it, they don't necessarily have to be exporting directly to the us they could be exporting to any country on the planet but a lot of the trade is denominated in us dollars so both China and Japan ha- had, have, had a whole lot of US dollars flowing into their country. And so, they were just stockpiling US dollars. And so, instead of just sitting on US dollars, they, they want to do something with those dollars. So, they, when the US government goes, I want to deficit spend, which means they want to spend more money than they're getting back through taxation then they create a financial instrument called a bond, a government bond, and they will, which is an asset, they'll sell that government bond back to Japan and China, who will then send them the US dollars that they're sitting on. Simple. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, who, do these, who do the government... The, so, you know, in large part, the US government owes money to Japan and China. And so, this has been one of the criticisms about how the U.S. is borrowing money from China to cr- build up their military to defend against China. 
Oh my gosh, that sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. It sounds, okay. <laughs> it's but, like, we're going to fight. Um, can you, can I borrow money from you to pay for my trainer <laughs> before we have our fight? Like, it's like, <laughs> and I'm saying. Do, can these I get a better systems, trainer than you? These systems are very complex. <laughs> And they create all sorts of differing incentive structures. And there's other incentive structures and why this transaction takes place. And so, if a country has, like, all of your... Whoa, man. Like, that's way more scary than having Yeah, so, that was one of the fears that came up in the mainstream media about what if China uses the nuclear option, which means they just sell just en masse sell all of the government, the US government debt and just flood the market with US government debt, which would mean there's more debt that anyone else can buy, which would mean that the price would drop, which would mean the 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 rates, the interest rate on those bonds would go up, which would bankrupt the US government because they couldn't pay the, the higher interest on these bonds. Little, yeah, I know, it was a mouthful. But, <laughs> but again, they, they, I got to the end where they, they they couldn't pay the interest. Yeah, so that was one thing they they're worried about. But again, you know, and this is information I've picked up from a lot of independent mm-hmm. financial reporters is that there's there's other incentive schemes going on that would you know would they they wouldn't be following that route of action. And right now, actually, Japan and China are selling a lot of US government bonds uh, people are interpreting that as they they don't want the US bonds anymore but you know the Jeff Snyder talks about how they're actually selling the US bonds because their economies are imploding and they need those US dollars back because they hold a lot of US dollar they also hold US dollar debt that they need to be able to cover mm. their US dollar debt with yeah, I heard something about like Japan's is it the yen? Yeah, that it was like in bad shape, and that what that that actually means really bad stuff for. Yeah, and so <laughs> part of the the selling the um, the uh, the U.S. federal government bonds is to pull in U.S. dollars, so um, to yeah to try and stabilize the yen but yeah it's kind of yeah it's creating a feedback loop where the us dollar is getting stronger which is causing the euro the yeah there's a lot going on there there's a whole lot of things going on yeah you're like he's already confused i gotta slow down that's a huge rabbit hole where okay yeah it'll uh we'll uh okay yeah so let's let's go back to we talked about like micro macro mentioned it before we started and how economic so i guess the micro is the the bartering and how it became money and yeah, that kind basically of thing microeconomics is looking from what i understand uh, economics is based on uh, a word that relates to managing the uh the, the runnings of a household so, oh, say that again. Uh, I, I, I <laughs> vaguely remember that the the et, entomotic, entomological root is that is that the root? I don't know if that's the word. <laughs> it comes from uh, essentially running the the day to day situation of a household. Oh, okay. So microeconomics is looking at particular businesses running their their own financials. And so that's looking at a micro scale. And then when they connect with other businesses to trade goods and other industries and with consumers and then with government and nations and then globally, that's when you get to the macroeconomic level. Okay. Is there micro macro anymore? Yeah, there is. So the study of microeconomics is is looking at the management of uh, the finances of, of. Companies essentially, yeah. So it's micro, micro, not like micro in the sense of a city or town. It's micro yeah, in the so sense. So, like of- the city and a town is on that spectrum between, you know, because okay. a a 
a municipality will have their own finances and so, you know, and people they trade with. So, you look at it at that level and it kind of scales up and mm-hmm. then there's the provincial who have their own and then there's the federal who have their own and then there's the interaction between nations as well. So, it, it's sort of a spectrum. And okay. There's one end, which is the macro, and there's the other end, which is the micro. Okay. So, how does this affect people and politics? How does... <laughs> like, like, That's I, a very, very broad <laughs> question. <laughs> As I said, well, it's, it's a complex system yeah. that interacts with other complex systems. So, it, it, can, it can impact politics and people in un- numerous, numerous ways. Okay, well, let's look at it this way. Why should we care about it? If we can't, like, if I'm... Because I think most people think of economics as, like, something way out there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's 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 only macro. It's only big. It's the government, the cities, they're dealing with it. And I just go about my day and hope it gets better. Yeah. So, why why would we bother if we can't do anything about it? It, Or what can we do? How do we affect it in the day-to-day? Well, it comes into quality of life, um, opportunities for work. And work is very important to us as human beings. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just for money. It it keeps us sane to a certain extent, gives us a sense of meaning and accomplishment. I think they should rename work to be worth. Yeah, yeah. They should. (laughs) Because... If you don't have worth in your work, then life's not great. Yeah, well, so, well, sometimes you, the worth your work has is just to pay the bills, so you can get busy doing the things that are worth more to you. You know, it has its own yeah, okay, some fine. degree of worth. You know? <laughs> some people that's, are happy doing that. Like that's true. That is true. Yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tolerable sacrifice for them. You know, that's <laughs> that's a great phrase. Tolerable sacrifice. Yeah, is that when you made up again? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so what? Yeah. How does it? Why should we bother even knowing about it? It, it impacts things like employment rates. So, if there's a lot of people, let, let's look at sort of the boom period of between like the '60s and the '90s. Okay. This was a time when. Uh, economic, the economy was doing good for people. People could find easily find work. They could have pay increases that matched, if not was better than the rate of inflation, mm. so that they could afford houses easily. They could put food on the table easily. They could afford to consume things, take holidays. It feeds into to quality of life. If right. if there's not that good economic situation, work becomes scarce. Uh, caps are put on wages or even decreasing wages, which it's harder to get work. It's harder to pay the bills. Uh, if there's scarce resources, then the price of those resources go up. So the worse things go, the closer you come to subsistence living subsistence yeah subsistence living is basically the fruits of your labor only produce enough for you to meet your daily needs i feel like that a lot of people are there right now yeah and that seems that's why it's 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 a why the economy is a concern because if things deteriorate or even you know depending on demographics even if things just stand still then you're going to get more and more people being pushed into closer to subsistence living. Mm-hmm. You know, we are in quite a quite a, a great time period in history where we do have good quality of life because we have access. A lot of this is tied to, to energy sources, but also money supply. But money and energy are, are extremely linked. That's another thing people don't fully appreciate. But we have, <laughs> yeah, we have enough money that most of us can, you know, we're not f- fending for the next meal. Yeah, you know? um, I guess there are more- some people are, but the more the more things deteriorate, 
the more people are pushed towards that end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it seems lately like more on the the hands-on kind of work um, as opposed to like programming or something, that kind of thing, but more like the hands-on, like the stores and the brick and mortar and all that kind of thing. And it seems like there's so many jobs out there because people are starving to get workers. Mm. But none of it is like great pay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of goes with what something you said where like yeah, wages and, could go down. And th- this is a, this is one of the arguments. This is an argument you're hearing in contemporary media is they're worried about inflation getting out of control because there's this thing called the wage price spiral where if prices in an economy go up, then workers will demand higher wages mm-hmm. to buy those goods. And if there's more and more money being created, then there's enough money for the companies to pay more, but then people being paid more can afford more things, which will then feed back into pushing prices higher. But in the meantime, the profits are being made because there's more and more money being pushed in. So, everything goes up, wages and goods and services so a person would be like well what's wrong with that yeah <laughs> like, I'm things, like that sounds if, good if things get out of control that you know it's an it's another thing but uh we you pay me more money i'll buy it. more stuff yeah well you can get fine. things like hyperinflation like you you know an extreme case is weimar germany but we're also seeing things like hyperinflation in turkey right now they yeah. they've got some ridiculous like 78 percent inflation rates year over year but we'll take we'll go back to the extreme case of weimar journey where they were literally printing currency um to uh, part to pay off the the debts the reparations that came out of the first world war but you what you had is i i was reading i was reading someone had was summarizing a book they read about someone who was living in Germany during the Weimar inflation where this wage price spiral was initiated but to an extreme extent where they said that at the peak of it they would get a pay rise every day what and at the worst of it they would get a pay rise twice a day because <sighs> so much money was being printed that it was diluting the value of a particular one note so it was losing its store of value that what happened is whatever money you made in the day you were incentivized to spend it that night because it wasn't worth saving it because the next day it would be worth half as much so even though the economy was in shambles people were they were literally spending like there was no tomorrow, which when you think about um, the notion of delayed gratification, mm-hmm. how we make sacrifices today to save money to get something better for us in the future, that was that whole notion was demolished. So, people essentially lost their moral, moral compass there was they weren't thinking about tomorrow everything was about i have to spend my money today everything became immediate and so so to compare that it would be like buying a stock because it was a good price and then it like it goes up twice in the day but then tomorrow it could drop to a third yeah. Uh, so, like, you want to, you want to, it's, it's like day trading. You want to well, buy like, it, but then well, get it's more, rid of it. Let's think, um, introducing financial assets, and this gets a bit complicated okay. because the financial <laughs> assets did, did also rise with inflation. So, the stock market was actually booming at that time, but it was barely, yeah, any, but I find it, it, it ended up crashing. I just find it very complicated in my head because it's it's a weird thing to be like more money main means less value like it's it's a it seems like it doesn't match in my head somehow even though i hear it all the time like it just doesn't it's like yeah 
okay. the value that like mm. well it's more <laughs> it's if you have a limited supply of goods and services if if you can expand your goods and services at the same rate then prices Fine. will stay stable but if the money supply is increasing faster then you can increase the supply of goods and money then there's more money chasing the same amount of goods and services so the goods and services are going to demand a larger share of the money available it's kind of like people trying to find or su- places same to share rent. but the same share of money available but because there's more money then it would mean more money equates the same share yeah still sounds complicated in my head <laughs> Like, it, it just doesn't seem like it should work that way. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, it, okay, let's go back. Instead of, instead of introducing the financial asset part of it, let's, yeah, let's think about it in beer. Okay. Oh, and now I got, I'm going to get it. So, you earned your money today. Yeah. And you've got enough money for four beers tonight. Okay. But if you hold that money... And have those beers tomorrow, you can only get two beers. What are you going to do? Well, buy four tonight yeah. and only drink two, but I won't. I'll drink four. But yeah. I'll think I'm going to drink two. But but, but, but the people have to think that there's going to be an end to it. And isn't the only way to make an end to that is to not spend it all? You know what I mean? Like, But if you don't spend it, then the money is worth nothing. Like the example from the book I read was a, a woman had saved up to buy a sewing machine and say it was a hundred marks which was the currency in germany at the time by the time she realized that inflation was a problem and she needed to spend that money all she could buy was a basically like an apron but still doesn't it like how long okay how long does Maybe that's the thing I'm missing. How long does, do these things last? Like, how long was this thing in Germany? How long did it last for? I think from memory, it kind of, it started slowly in around 1922, 23. And then it was at its peak around 1929, which was precipitated the, was one of the precipitating factors for stock market crash. Uh, the the the, mm. the the crash in the German economy, which you combine the the erosion of morals because of people are living hedonistically, along with complete economic devastation. So what happened is everyone who'd saved their money for retirement, that money was now worthless. They lost all of their retirement money, and the only people who came out ahead in that situation were basically the bankers and the people who were savvy about financial markets and they were able to put their investments into things that held their value. So, at the end, everybody lost their money except for the bankers. And so, so this all led into to the, you know, the, the social discontent and the eroded morals that led to what, what happened in Germany in the 1930s and 1940s. Okay, so it it lasts long enough that you get to a point where you're like, this is just how life is. We're probably not going to come out of this. So this is just, yeah, like they lost their moral compass. Like yeah, they lost like the way you're of planning. Of it's just day to day. Like yeah, bucket, like the knows? economy had become so unstable and it was just unsustainable. Continued pretty much. Like there's pictures of people coming up to pay for a loaf of bread with literally wheelbarrows full of money it's so weird that's crazy it got so bad that they were taking the same note say it was a 10 mark note they had to they used the same notes but they reprinted it first it was a it became a thousand mark note and then it became a million mark note you know so so that same note that Mm -hmm. was worth ten dollars within the span of seven years was now worth a million mark so if you had held that ten dollars you would have essentially one tenth you know the, the 10 10 marks compared to a million marks it there's no point in holding that ten dollars you spend it now before it becomes worthless okay so 
<laughs> so that's We're... what happens when you get a wage price spiral. Okay. Is when money keeps falling into the system. And we'll, we'll tie it back into what you are saying before about how the jobs, there's all these jobs, you know, and so... But no one wants them because you don't make any money. So the economists, they see all these jobs and the according to the economist model, because the economist models don't have money in it, they see all these jobs and so they're freaking out that there's going to be a wage price spiral and inflation's going to run out of control. Hmm. But as you're saying, people aren't taking these jobs because they don't pay enough. Yeah. Because there's actually... The, the companies aren't getting enough money in to be able to raise the wages. And this is what uh, um, uh, another market commentator I've been reading, he calls that they're not paying a market clearing wage. So, it's not worth people's time to take those jobs because they don't pay enough. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm going to be broke, I might as well be broke and have time. Yeah. And so, what <laughs> happens is when people are broke- they cut back on buying things. They First, they cut back on uh, uh, consumer discretional items. So, things that TVs, yeah. you know, little widget. Instead of buying a new phone tomorrow, they might put it off for another year. So, all these these things that aren't essentials, they, they stop buying them because their wages aren't keeping up with the price increases. Right. Which then starves- the companies of the money that they want to have in order to raise the wages. So, you're kind of getting the inverse and that they call it margin mm. compression where the the companies, they're having to, they have a choice where they can leave the prices of their goods where they are so that people can afford them, but because the input costs go up, then they get less profit or they can raise the prices according to what the input put costs up, but then people don't have enough money to buy it, so they have lower sales. So, you get this squeezing of businesses. They're not making the money they used to. So, that's when they start to do even the opposite. They start firing people because one of their- Yeah, one of their their costs that they can control is labor. Yeah. Advertising, labor, they're they're kind of things that are really first to go. So, we're starting to see that with a lot of large companies. They're they're starting with the hiring freezes. Some people are getting laid off. Um, You're seeing that in the tech sector in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you like essential jobs, um, for example, you get people who are employed, but they're understaffed. So, you got all these people running around like mad, just stressed. (sighs) Yeah performing the same job for the same amount of money, you know. But people don't if if someone else isn't paying enough, then they can't yeah. So it's it's just a big old mess. So yeah, so but so this this money equation. If there's money, if there's more money coming into the system, then you'll get the wage price spiral. If there's not enough money coming new money coming into the system, then you'll get this this the companies can't pay the market clearing wage and things will stagnate and eventually will cause a recession. So that's why everyone has economists trying to figure out the balance to somewhere in the middle to keep things going. Yes, uh, and <laughs> technical term for that is R star. It, they have a mathematical equation where, but it, it's they again because they they can't fully map the monetary system, so instead they try to target interest rates. And so, they have basically like a, a natural rate of interest where if they have the, the money at this certain level, then it will cause enough, make it enticing enough for people to borrow more money to put more money into this. But that's that's getting quite complex. That's another <laughs> rabbit hole. We'll, uh, <laughs> I don't think we'll be able to go into that very much. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, going back again to how does this affect, how does it Knowing this to me just goes, oh, fuck, give me a beer because we're screwed. What can we do? But what, how, what can we do? Well, thanks for listening. And there you have it. I uh, hope you enjoyed the first half of this conversation with Luke and uh, that you've been able to take in and grasp at least some of how things seem to be working. But we're not done yet, not just yet. Uh, So join Luke and I for the rest of this economic mind bend in the next episode. 
Uh, but before you go and jump over to that, please remember to subscribe and support the podcast in any way you can. Just click on one of the links in the episode description or drop by the website at governthis.ca where you can buy us a coffee, buy us a beer, drop us some of that extra change you got laying around. Uh, we appreciate any and all. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You can also connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash govern this and on Twitter at we govern this. So if you like what you've heard and uh, you think it's important, please share it with as many people as you can. Hopefully we can all become a little more aware and involved. So until next time, stay strong and stay curious.